Good morning, I'm Amanda, and if you're new today, uh, we are up to chapter 7 in a series of Mark, and that's everything you need to know. Um, so just to give you just some context of who I am and, and where I'm up to, um, six years ago, Jesus claimed me, and it, it was a claiming because I didn't ask for him. I didn't look for him. I was doing okay. I didn't know I needed him. And then he blindsided me. And the reason that I tell you this is because I just missed that induction to Christianity. I just didn't know the, the standard operating procedure for Christians. And, you know, I couldn't even speak the language. So I missed big chunks of it because Christianese is not an easy language to get your head around. Because there are these new words that just mean absolutely nothing. Words like salvation and redemption. I just missed that. And then there were these old words that in English mean one thing, but in Christianese they mean another thing. Words like rest. Find rest in him. What, what does that mean? Let's take a moment and be still. How do I do that? I didn't know what these words meant. And because I missed these big chunks, and to be honest, I'm still missing big chunks, I just missed the Great Commission. See, when, I, when Jesus found me, he was mine, and I was his. And I didn't care who else had him because he was mine. And I didn't want to share him with my husband, with my mother, with my children. He was mine. And this new sense of awe and wonder and just love and peace and joy that I was just wrapped in, that I had just fallen upon, this miracle, it was mine. And I didn't care who else had it. But you know, that is not standard operating procedure. That is not God's desire for me, to be me and Jesus in my dining room all day long over a pot of coffee. It is God's desire, it's intention, it is his command to me, even ordinary me, to go and to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then to teach them to obey everything that he had commanded. And you know, I have to say that my relationship to this command is in a, is in a bit of a state of flux. So I went from complete ignorance to awareness to every excuse why it wasn't me. Yeah, why it applied to the, the pastor, the deacons, the elders, all of these other people who were paid and qualified for the job, but actually never applied to me personally because God knew that I had legitimate reasons why I could not live up to this commitment that he was asking of me. Because I'm a mother, I can't go anywhere, I've got three children, I don't have a reliable babysitter, I have no family in England. I am not qualified to make a disciple. And, you know, we live in England. It is the health and safety capital of the world. I need a certificate if I'm going to put anyone underwater, surely. And, you know, as for teaching them everything, well, you know, maybe when I, maybe when I know everything, I'll jump into the fray. But for the moment, Lord, you know, count me out. And then I went from excuses to just panic, to frustration, and being overwhelmed, and then just feeling helpless and hopeless. And uh, do you know what? I still feel really ill-equipped to go and make disciples, but I'm, I'm working it out. I'm working it out. And so as a novice Christian and as a novice disciple maker, Mark chapter 7 is really helpful because it offers me, even me, 
just some practical advice on who and how to. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to read this. I know we've been reading it together the last couple of weeks, but I'm just going to read Mark chapter 7. And I'm going to read from an ESV version, if it sounds different to yours. So if you've got your Bible with you, do have it open in whatever form you hold it in. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man says, tells his father and mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his mother or father. Thus, making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things do you do. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little girl had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a side of Phoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre, went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis, And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. 
And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephetah, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And now I'm going to forgive you if you think, bless the girls got it wrong. I'm going to forgive you. And we're going to work our way backwards. So we're going to start with the deaf man in Decapolis. We're going to move to the side of Phoenician woman in Tyre. I'm going to finish with the Pharisees in Galilee. And the only reason we're going to do that is because that's the way the Holy Spirit led me. He might speak to you another way, but you're stuck with my interpretation this morning. (laughs) And we're going to look at chapter 7 through the eyes of John 3, verse 16. See, Jesus came because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I wonder if you thought, who is this whoever? Do you know? Who does God love so much? Who did Jesus die for? Who who is this whoever? And so as we look at the places that Jesus went to and we look at the people that Jesus met, I believe he's going to give us just the beginnings of a thought of who the whoever is. And if your mind and your mouth are very quick to say anyone and everyone, then let's look at it through John 8 verse 12. See, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And there's a good side to light because light can illuminate. Light show us a way. So if I was looking for something in a dark room, I would turn on the light. And a plane coming into land would look for those lights on the runway for a path. And so as we unpick the attitudes, the behaviors of the different people that Jesus meets on his journey, I believe that he, they represent archetypes of people we're going to meet today and really a tailored response to how we can reach those people personally. But there is a downside to lights. And lights expose all the flaws and all the failings that you really don't want to see. So my mind and my mouth are very quick to say anyone and everyone is eligible. But you know, my heart holds a list. My heart has a list of who's in and who's out. Who deserves to know my Jesus and who I am not going to bother him with. And so my prayer this morning is that as I bring words, the Holy Spirit is going to take these words and he's going to convert them into images for you, images in your mind, just pictures of people, faces that he wants you to go to, different scenarios where you think, I could have done that differently, different people groups, just just pictures of where he needs you to go to proclaim his name. And then finally, we're going to look at it through Matthew 28, 20, the Great Commission. Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them everything. Do you know in Jesus' time, go was a very literal go in the days before the internet and Skype and all these things. Somebody physically had to go. Jesus physically had to go. And today... Go still means go. Somebody still has got to go to Papua New Guinea. 
But today, go can hold a much more figurative meaning, can't it? Our language reflects that. We say, I'm not going there. We say, you're going too far now. So we understand that go can hold a different kind of meaning. And so as we look at Jesus' literal goings, perhaps let's, let's consider our figurative goings. Where are we willing to go? How far are we willing to go in this business of making disciples? And so, are you still with me? Can we go to Decapolis? Now, so that's verse 31 if you've got your Bible. Now, Decapolis is Gentile country. And in Jesus' time, the world is really black and it's white. You either are a Jew, in which case God's your God and you're okay, or you are not a Jew. You are a Gentile and you sort your own God out. So what was God, what was Jesus doing in this Gentile country? What was he doing there? They weren't his people, he wasn't their God, they weren't even his mission. Because the Gentile inclusion campaign wasn't scheduled until much later in time, and Paul was already earmarked for the job. So what was Jesus doing in this Gentile country? Now there are differing opinions, just to say at this moment, but whatever you believe, Jesus, if you think that actions speak louder than words, Jesus' actions say that even for these people who have their own gods, I am willing to die for them, and they are part of the whoever that can claim this eternal life. And history bears it out because I would say today, if not all of us in this room, we are Gentiles and we can claim him as our God. And you know, today though, am I, am I willing to follow Jesus' lead on this? You know, if we take away labels, labels of Christian, Muslim, atheist, Buddhism, humanism, the world is as black and white as it's ever been. We only fall into two categories, those who know Jesus and those who need Jesus. And that is the only distinction that there is. And you know, this was a bitter pill for me to swallow in the early days. You know, this black and whiteness that Jesus brings, it was a bitter pill. I didn't like it. I didn't like the lack of choice. You know, in my mind, all gods were the same. They might be called by different names, but every god was the same. They were much of a muchness. You could take your pick, whichever one took your fancy. If you believed in a thing called heaven, then all roads would lead there. What mattered was that you were a good person. And in your life, the balance of scales were that actually the good outweighed the bad, and Bob was your uncle. But, but, do you know, When I've learned that Christianity really wasn't a religion, that it was about this relationship, (laughs) and it was this relationship with the God-man, Jesus. And you know, when I could wrap my head around this madness, this madness of eternity, and when uh, it dawned on me that these people that I loved had this little bit of time, this lifespan of their lives, which could go like this, And we didn't know the moment that they only had this life to choose Jesus. At the peril of their eternal life, I was panic-stricken. And I went hellfire and brimstone. It didn't work for me. Don't try it at home, folks. (laughs) Oh, do you know? But fortunately, from these verses, Jesus offers us a much better strategy. So while he is in Decapolis, they, and we don't know who they are, but they bring a man who is deaf and who is mute to Jesus. See, this man, he's deaf. He can never hear the buzz that's going on about Jesus. People are talking about him. They're talking about what he's saying. They're talking about what he's doing. His ears can never, ever hear that. 
So they have to bring him. And even if they bring him, his mouth can never request anything from Jesus. He might not have wanted to be deaf. He might have thought, actually, I like it like this. I can't hear the wife moaning. Leave me alone. (laughs) But, you know, he could never ask anything of Jesus. So they had to beg on his behalf. And Jesus' response is to take him aside, just to put his fingers in his ears, spit, touch his tongue, look up to heaven, sigh, and command that he be opened. Now, you do have to get past that ew moment of bodily fluids and orifices to actually (laughs) appreciate that actually this is a very personal and intimate thing. Jesus doesn't waste his words on him because he can't hear, doesn't ask him anything, he can't speak. He touches him and he commands be opened. And let's just set aside that physical miracle for a moment. And let's just consider this an object lesson in spiritual matters. Don't you just have people in your life with their own gods? Yeah, Career, money, education, family, Allah, the host of Hindu gods. Don't you just have people in your life who've got their own god? And they can't hear God's word, no matter how you try. They just can't hear it. And I have so many of those that I love. I have my child who I love. And I see her watch. I watch her just worship these gods of the world, just worshiping physical appearance and materialism and these things. And I thought for sure, for sure, if I just could get her to the word, this word that was going to separate soul from spirits and joint from matter and wasn't going to come back empty, if I could just get her to this word. but And you know what? She capitulated sometimes. I begged, I bribed, I coerced. But she just couldn't yet. She just couldn't hear that word. And I sat there thinking, how is it that we are reading the same thing? And I can hear and you can't hear. But you know, she couldn't hear. Not only can she not hear, she can't ask, you know. She just hasn't got that joy of a conversation with Jesus, of, of asking of her father. She can't ask anything of him. She just hasn't got that relationship. And when I pretend that she's a Christian and I say, baby, what can I pray for you? Invariably the answer is nothing. I'm okay. But you know, this passage, this gives me hope. This gives me real hope. And it helps me not to feel so helpless because there is something that I can do. And I can bring it to Jesus on my knees. And I can beg him, and I can beg him for the life of my child. And I can beg him just to touch her, just to touch her and give that command to be open. I can beg him to be kind. I can beg him to be merciful. I can beg him not to give her what she wants, which is a life without him. And I can beg him to open her just a crack. This I can do. I can't will it. I can't give it to her. I can't buy it for her. But I can beg. And he can open. Only he can open. And I can beg for my Muslim family, for my Hindu friends, for my atheist friends. I can come and I can beg. I might not enjoy the wonder of sitting next to them in church and worshipping God yet. And I might not be able to Just share with them the joy that God's word gives me yet. But I'm willing and I'm ready to beg. And so I wonder, who's it in your life? Who's in your life that doesn't know they need Jesus? Has their own God? Can't hear, can't speak, 
Who can you bring to Jesus? And who can you beg for? So if you're ready, we go to Tyre. So in Tyre, we're still in Gentile country, so the people still have their own gods. And a woman comes to Jesus. And you know, bless her, she's got everything against her. Everything. She's a woman. My sex are not well thought of in Jesus' days. It wasn't a done thing for her to go and confront a teacher in front of everybody. She's a Gentile. And you know, the Jews who were in the crowd would have thought of her or they would have called her a dirty, scavenging dog. And yet she comes. And the devil has her in his crosshairs because her child is possessed by a demon. And yet, if we read, it says, yet immediately heard she heard of him. She came, she fell at his feet, and she begged. She begged not for herself. She didn't come saying, I would really like the forgiveness of my sins. I'm yet to repent. I'm yet to believe. I'm yet to claim this eternal life. No. She comes for one thing. She comes to ask him a favor. She comes because she wants her daughter not to be possessed by a demon. And Jesus' response is to talk to her because she can hear and she can talk. So he has this conversation with her. And um, it seems, though, that even he's against her because he says to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That sounds cryptic, doesn't it? But it feels harsh. And I wonder if the people in the audience would have understood what Jesus was actually saying to her, or would they have been, yay, talk to the dog like that. that that's our place. But don't miss her response. But before that, you know, Jesus is having this conversation with her because he's drawing out, how do you feel? How He wants to know where her heart is. And don't miss her response. Her response is, yes, Lord. Don't miss that. Lord is God's personal name. It is Yahweh. So even though she doesn't know it, this response is already acknowledging him as God. She's come for a favor, but she's ready for so much more. She just doesn't know that she knows he is God, and she is ready, ready to receive him. And Jesus says response, and then she says to Jesus, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And so I wonder, if I was standing in that crowd, I don't think I would have known what this conversation was about, but you know what? Nobody needed to because her and Jesus are on the same page. Her and Jesus have this communication that bystanders who are looking and who are seeing couldn't really understand, but they've got this understanding. And Jesus' response is not to touch and cry open. She's already open. He says to her, go home. Go home. Your child is healed. And he meets her at a point of need. And you know, that is such a Christianese turn of phrase, meeting someone at their point of need. Do you know, before today, my ears had heard it, maybe my mouth even said it, but until this woman, my heart didn't know what that meant, to meet somebody at their point of need. You see, the conversation could have gone like this. Jesus could have said to her, I understand that you're really distressed, and I promise we're going to get to your daughter in a moment, but there are some practicalities to deal with. So uh, the, we need to investigate the issue of why your child was possessed because what was it in your life for your choices? Left the door open for possession. Um, you know, confess that, repent. Depending on the outcome of that, I might need to cast some other demons out of you depending on the aforementioned action. 
uh, then I would need to gauge your belief system about who the Son of Man is. Uh, and then depending on those answers, possibly there will be a baptism of water. If these things go well, then uh, I would be happy to act as, your, as God on your behalf. Unfortunately, I might not have the personal capacity to deal with your matter, but these 12 gentlemen here to my right, I've trained them, and I will hand you over to them. But he didn't do that. He just met her at her point of need. He honored her faith by giving her what she thought she wanted at that point in time. And you know, this passage rebukes me so strongly. See, I'm good at Christianese now, aren't I? It rebukes me so strongly because... I've been replaying all the people that I have excluded from knowing God. Me. Because there was something about them that I judged not worthy of God. Something about their appearance, their behavior, their social circumstances. I judged them unworthy of my God. Something about their requests that I thought was trivial. I thought, I'm not bothering my God with your request. See, because I judged their motives. I thought I knew their motives. I thought their motives are not pure. They're using my God like a genie in a bottle. They come in to ask me to pray for something they want to rescue, but they are not willing to let my God rule in their life. So you know what? I'm not bothering God with this. I just wasn't meeting them at their points of need. Who died and made me God? I forgot my place. I'm on the altar. He's on the throne. And I reverse the roles. Who do I think I am? And, you know, I've been thinking about so many people, about um, the patient who uh, I, I met at work. And he was a man. And he was a recovering drug addict. He'd been homeless, but was trying to get his life together. And he asked me outright, he asked me outright, how is it that you have this joy and this peace. I want that. He asked me outright. Those biblical words as well, now I think of it. He used the words joy and peace. People don't just use them. The man was asking me for something. And you know what? I said to him, it's because I have Jesus, but that's as far as I was willing to go. That was it. He was a man. I was a woman. How was I going to look? Do you know, it was in an NHS context where I'm not really supposed to tout my beliefs. What if I lost my job? What if I was disciplined? And he had too many demons. Too many demons. He was a recovering drug addict. Too many, too much stuff. It had nothing to do with wisdom. It had nothing to do with me asking the Holy Spirit, is it me who is this job for? It purely was the fact that I was not willing to go there. Do you know, I think about, um, I met in a, in a Christian context, I met a, a white South African lady, and she was just lonely. And she latched onto me because I was the only other South African in the room. And she just wanted the company of another South African person just to share home. You know, I might not look, but I am a black South African. I am. I won't let you tell me otherwise. And, you know, I have a history with white South African people. They thought I wasn't worth anything, yeah? I wasn't allowed to walk down the same streets as a white person. So, you know what? When this white lady in a different context was reaching out to me just for companionship, but in a Christian setting, I could have seen, I could have met her need. I could have offered her forgiveness. I could have thought, well, yes, I'm just meeting your loneliness need but maybe I could make you a disciple, but I wasn't willing to go there because I was too hard-hearted. But you know what really, really rebukes me about this is that 
I have forgotten who I am. Six short years into being a Christian and I've already forgotten who I am because I'm a woman and I'm a Gentile. And the devil had me in his crosses too. I grew up in a crime-ridden environment. You know, the people I love best are drug addicts and thieves and murderers, or they did because their lifestyle killed them. And do you know what? I came for one thing. I didn't come looking for Jesus. I didn't come asking for him. I came because I thought I wanted this one thing. But I didn't know that I was ready to receive him. I didn't know that everything within me was saying, yes, Lord. I didn't know that. And I have forgotten that. And so my prayer this morning for me and for us is that if that we will never forget who we were before Jesus found us, that we will always have eyes that would see past behaviors, past attitudes, past appearances, that we would eyes that would look for where the harvest is ripe. We would have just ears that would hear someone saying, yes, Lord, even when they don't know they're saying, yes, Lord. And we would just have enough love in our hearts to meet everyone at their point of need. Shall we go to Galilee? Now, Galilee, Jesus on home turf, Jewish country, his people, his God, his mission, three out of three. But isn't it interesting that Jesus was going around Jewish countryside, teaching and preaching and performing miracles? Surely he didn't have to do that personally. These were his people. They had the relationship with God, they had the history with God, and they had the word of God. Surely just the general announcement would have done. Why did he have to do this Personally, See, but Jesus knew that even his people without him were going to neglect and lose the relationship. We're going to forget the history or forget what the history had taught them because the history wasn't just history. The history was teaching them something of who he was and that they would just reinvent his word and they would just fall into the religion hole as his action with the Pharisees bears out. So in Galilee, the Pharisees and the scribes come to Jesus, and they're not your ordinary Jews. They are experts. They are the teachers of the law. They interpret Jewish scriptures. They see to the proper administration of the temple. That's who they are. And they come, not to marvel at Jesus, not to say, listen, Jesus, you are a Jew. You know, we've held this prophecy for a long time, since the beginning of time, about this baby boy who was going to be born only to a woman who was going to be the savior of the world. We have enough information to identify the Messiah accurately. So by way of verification, shall we have an interview? Maybe bring your mom. We might need to speak to someone in the temple just to make sure that you are the Messiah. But you know what? We've watched you, and we think that you are him. And we are so excited. No, they come to criticize. They come to criticize Jesus because his disciples don't wash their hands properly. And it sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud. Jesus, great job with raising Jairus' daughter from the dead, but I'm afraid I cannot overlook the way your disciples wash their hands. It sounds ridiculous. It seems ridiculous that they would miss Jesus. And Jesus' response is that he doesn't entertain the topic of the day, um, but he does address the issue. And the issue is that they have left the commandments of God. 
and they are holding on to their own traditions, traditions that they made. And he challenges them with the word, and it's the first time he's brandished the sword, and he brings them the word of Isaiah, and he says, you hypocrites, you pay lip service to me. Yeah, your heart is far from me. You worship in vain because you're not following my teaching. You're following your own. And you know, my first thought on reading this was, oh, Jesus, there's another side to you. And I couldn't see the act of love, but this is. And then the Holy Spirit had to remind me that actually somebody performed a similar act of love for me. Do you know, I'd been going to Bethel Church for a while, and a man named Stan Chedzoy came up to me to talk to me. And um, here's the usual introductions. Church people like to know all your business, don't you? They come and they say, hello, how are you? What's your name? And you think, oh. Um, <laughs> and um, he said to me, will I see you in heaven? And I, we didn't know how to answer that. I really didn't. And I ummed and I awed. And eventually I think I said to him something like, yeah, I hope so. And he just said to me, well, if you hope, you might have a little bit of religion, but you certainly can't call yourself Christian. And I was so offended. I was so offended with him. I don't think he knows this, but I avoided him for quite a while. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm really grateful that he was brave enough to perform this act of love for me because I probably wouldn't be standing here today. I wouldn't be a follower of Jesus today if it wasn't for Stan just shaking me up. Um, and he'll always hold a special place in my heart. It's so humbling to think, though, that by quoting Isaiah, Jesus was actually saying to them, I knew from the beginning that you couldn't do this without me. 700 years ago, I sent you a warning. And you know what? I'm still here to die for you. I'm still here. Because if I don't die for you, your efforts are in vain. And isn't that humbling to think that? And you know, it's so easy to fall into the religion hole. I find myself just falling into it too. When I came to freedom, it didn't matter to me that the spirit was there. I wanted to know, why is there no communion? Where's the offering plate? It's easy to fall into the religion hole. And you know what? I find religious people really challenging because, you know, people who don't have religion, they're really easy to identify that they need Jesus. You know they need Jesus. But but people who have religion, it's really hard to know. Do you know Jesus? Do you need Jesus? You don't know because in, in practice and appearance, they look the same as me. Do you know, we're in the same place. We're doing the same things. Um, it sounds like they know Jesus. They think they square with God. They know the Bible, they just don't know Jesus. And it's really a hard one. And you know, this passage really exposes me as a coward. And I didn't think I was a coward, I'm surprised. But it exposes me as a coward because I get this real shrinking feeling even before I've begun. Because am I brave enough to to be a stand? Am I brave enough to challenge someone who I think is religious with God's word? Am I brave enough to make disciples in my own church? Am I brave enough to do that? Do I think that I will? we are all in the same place or we are all in the same boat? Not my business to tell anyone anything. I'm going to leave it to Chris and Matt and Chris. This is what I'm going to do. Do you know, am I brave enough? Do I know the person sitting next to me 
do I know if they know Jesus or are they just in the same place as me? Do you know, am I going to upset the apple cart? You know, I have one of my best mates who's 85 and, and she is, she is religious. And I don't want to upset her by saying to her, do you know all these things that you do, they in vain? Does she don't know Jesus? Well, I upset the apple cart by saying that to her. Or will I think, ah, do you know what? God, I'm going to trust you to do right by her. I'm going to trust you to know her heart. Will I leave her not knowing Jesus? You know, will I leave the person sitting next to me in church not knowing Jesus? The next time a Jehovah's Witness knocks on my door, will I say, no, I'm Jehovah's Witness. (laughs) Come in. I'll get my Bible out. Is that going too far? Is that going too far? And so... I wonder who it is in your life who worships in vain, who has some religion but just doesn't have Jesus. Yeah? Who can you love just by challenging them with God's word? And so finally, Jesus reminds us of our starting point, that we are all sinners. That each and every one of us, without exception, yeah, we are sinners. But those of us who know Jesus, we are just saved by his grace. And if grace is a Christianese word and you really don't know what that means, then do ask somebody what this word means. There's nothing, those of us who know Jesus, there's nothing that we have done to deserve it. We know better, no worse than anyone else. He just picked us. And three times to three different groups of people, to the Pharisees, to the crowds, to the disciples, Jesus really emphasizes that our heart really are the source of our trouble. Our hearts are naturally selfish. Yeah, My natural default is to think only of myself. It's about me. It's what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. With my own heart, I can't think of God. I can't love his people. I can't love the way God loves with this heart that I have. With the heart that I have, I can never see the deaf man in front of me. I can never be willing to beg for him. With this heart that I have, I can never see this woman in front of me and meet her at a point of need. And with my heart, all I'm able to do is criticize. I can't beg with the heart that I have. And you know, I might never need to challenge anyone with God's religious people with God's word because I might be that. And so there's a really sobering warning for me to guard my heart, for us to guard our hearts. You know, knowing Jesus knowing his personal touch, and for yourself, knowing his love firsthand is the only thing capable of changing your heart. It's the only thing capable of giving us a heart that loves the way God loves. We all need Jesus without exception, every single one of us. But who am I willing to share him with? And who are you willing to share him with? And so I'd like to invite you for a moment just to, even in this room full of people, just to have, take a moment just to lock yourself in with the Holy Spirit. Um, hopefully we're going to play a song in a minute. And the song is the story of a woman. It's her testimony of who she thinks she was before Jesus found her, how she felt when Jesus found her, and how she praises him now. And I wonder if you could just take these minutes, if you can recall a time when you first met Jesus, could you relive that? Could you remember 
who you were before Jesus found you? Could you relive the way you felt when Jesus found you? Just let that be, let, let that renew you and refresh you. And maybe just dream, just dream of what the world would look like if everyone you loved had a story and everyone you loved could praise your God like this. And if today you've never had that moment where you know Jesus, then maybe walking in somebody else's shoes will give you those first stirrings, those first yearnings of what you might be missing, not knowing Jesus. And if that's you, don't leave today. Don't leave today without talking to someone.